0: Good morning. good morning. It is good to be with you here today in Rice. Uh, as many of you probably remember who I am. I'm somebody that has had been in town for a long time. We were part of uh, a church plant in Rice a number of years ago. And then Pastor Emil came and uh, had a heart for the community and kind of kicked us off again. And it is great to be back here in Rice. I've never been in this this building before. We've always uh, driven past, and when we first went to the school many years ago, this was something, there was something that was rented here, so this was not a a possibility. So it's kind of fun to be in here, and it's fun to see the, uh, the plans that you have for just across the streets, literally in just a couple weeks here. We're excited to see that in action, and then down to the property, down there over where we met for the summer and under the tent, Be fun to see kind of uh, what God is going to continue to bless you guys as you dream about reaching not just the city of Rice, but all around this area. So it is fun to be back and to see familiar faces and uh, just to uh, see kind of what God is doing. And Pastor Gene is not able to be here today, so he asked if I'd be willing to come back. And I said, Absolutely. Love coming to Rice. This is kind of my second home kind of a thing. So it is great to be here. Just uh, don't have to remind you what, why I'm a part of, we do Youth Alive, we do AIM in Minnesota. Youth Alive is just our goal, is to reach every student and every campus and every community with a relevant message of hope. We do it primarily through school assembly programs. This fall has been a little bit uh, rough, I would say, just on the number of schools that are open. There are some schools that are open. There's still a lot of schools that are not. And uh, But we've been in a number of schools. We've been in uh, schools for part of, I think, parts of five weeks this fall. The numbers are way down. But we're going to just go through the doors that God opens. There's been some pretty amazing things, amazing stories that have happened this fall. So it's kind of cool to go on not to uh, preach the gospel during the day. Remember, it's a non-religious presentation during the day. But we pray and we believe that when we walk in, we walk into the presence of God and when we do that, things happen. Kind of those divine encounters, kind of they connect. And there's been some amazing stories about that. So that's a great thing. Uh, A couple of things that I have over there if you'd want to check that out. One, we have a Youth Alive app for your phone. There's just a QR code you can scan. Just something that talks about kind of what we do, all the resources that we have are on our app. There's a Just a tab for students, youth leaders, prayer school assemblies, things like that. Um, Definitely, if you have a smartphone, check that out. If you have a flip phone, um, ask your friend what it looks like, I guess. Um, There's also uh, just an AIM card. There's a lot of uh, AIM trips that we're doing this next year. Uh, There are 21 that are listed. Uh, It looks like we'll probably have 16 or 17 of those trips happen. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of things that could happen, as you know but we're planning as if everything is open and every door is going to be open and we want to send students. The mission statement of AIM, as I've said before, is to mobilize students in short-term missions. That's what we want to do. We want to have them not just give to missions, which is really important, but there's also the next step is going and just experiencing. It's taking a step of faith and seeing what God can do. And uh, mobilizing students is something I, I feel very passionate about. And uh, you can check out a card over there as well. Our website on that is just minnesotaaim.com. Check it out. There's some cool stuff. If you have Instagram, not on in your flip phone but on your smartphone, uh, just minnesota aim is our Instagram name. Check it out. We post a there's usually at least a video a week of a student's testimony of what God did through their lives on aim. So just enough commercials. We'll move on. This morning I want to talk about. Uh, a pretty famous guy, his name is John the Baptist, and he was definitely an underdog. How many of you like the underdogs? And in, in when you're watching an, a, a sport, you love the underdogs? I'd say, I love the underdogs unless you're the one that's not supposed to lose. And then it's painful. Not to bring up a sore subject, but there's this team called the Vikings, okay? Um, if you cut my skin, I would turn, you know, red. But there's definitely a tint of purple because I bleed purple, as they would say Bring it back a few years, 1999, uh, we had this great season in 1998, maybe some of you remember. We were just 15-1, one, one of the most historic offensive outputs in NFL history, Randy Moss's rookie year. Okay, it was awesome. We went to the playoffs, first round, not a big deal. NFC Championship, we're playing the stupid, dirty birds of Atlanta, if you remember what that is. Comes at the end of the game. Uh Robert Smith chooses to run out of bounds and I just even talked about that yesterday with my brother-in-law. Just we were so mad at Robert Smith. Runs out of bound, the clock stops. We don't get the we don't get the uh the first down. Gary Anderson trots out to take the field goal. Remember this? And uh he was just statistically pretty solid. It was a thirty yard, thirty-eight-yard field goal and he was thirty-five for thirty-five. And he was 100% on his point-after attempts as well. Trots out. We know we're going up by 10, not a big deal. And he kicks the ball. And my heart drops as he kicks it wide right. Atlanta takes over. They throw this Hail Mary down to the sideline. They catch it. They go to overtime. Needless to say, we lose, Correct. I hate the Atlanta Falcons so much. Every, to this day, there's, I will never cheer for the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints, I hate even worse. And after the 41 donut in 2001 NFC Championship game, I hate the Giants, okay? So I hate the underdogs, but when you're on top and you win, it's great. But the underdogs are something that I cheer for often. John the Baptist is definitely one of these underdog type guys. So John the Baptist has his name in Scripture, and I just have to say right off the top, John is not a Baptist. Okay? Just to make that clear. According to a very reputable source called Wikipedia, there are 31, uh, 31 different Baptist denominations in the United States. He is not a Baptist of any affiliation It's not a noun. It's not who he is. It's what he does. John is the baptizer. Okay? Just not confuse you. But John was definitely an underdog. He was somebody that had a great ministry, but he was never really the front man. He was named, or he was referred to oftentimes as a front runner to Jesus. His whole job was to set up the success of Jesus' ministry. And this morning, I want to challenge you to be like a John. To accept the role that God has given you so that you can set up whoever it is behind you for success. Could be in ministry. Could be in your family. Could be as a parent. Could be as a spouse. Could be as a worker in the church. Whatever it is, your job is to accept the role God has for you so that you can set up whoever it is for success. Let's look at John if we can. Turn to Mark chapter 1. We we'll want to look at John's life a little bit this morning. And as you do that, let me give you just a little background more about John. John the Baptist really kicks off the uh, four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The story of, of Mark and Jesus really starts um, the earliest. Before Jesus was born, Mary had visited Elizabeth, and we know that when Mary walked into the womb, or into the room, uh, John the Baptist jumped within Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's stomach because it's full of the Holy Spirit. She says, you are greatly blessed. And Mary realizes that this is something of, of great importance of who she is pregnant with. And in the Gospel, John is described as someone that is a front-runner to Jesus. He's gaining quite the reputation outside the city of, of Jerusalem, living in the Judea. He's kind of this wild man. You guys... You've seen Duck Dynasty, right? Phil Robertson is a, uh interesting character. He uh, blurts things out. He's got the big beard. He's a hunting, fishing guy. He just is pretty raw, right? John the Baptist would be kind of like I envision John the Baptist as Phil Robertson. Because he's somebody that just speaks his mind. It doesn't matter what he does. Luke chapter 3, he's talking to the Pharisees and he calls them a brood of vipers, or basically you're a bunch of slimy snakes. You know, maybe not exactly who you want to use the term to people in religious authority, but he just speaks his mind and he's blunt. And He's living out in the wilderness and it says uh, he eats locusts, he uh, eats wild honey, he wears camel hair clothing and a leather belt. I mean, this guy is a reality star, TV star. Couldn't you see a, a Reality TV show about John the Baptist. I mean, hidden cameras, following him around. Things he says would be super entertaining. I would absolutely watch that show. But John the Baptist is somebody that is gaining all this reputation, but he constantly is saying the same message. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the guy. There's somebody behind me that I, I can't even, I'm not even worthy to, to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy to do anything And my job is really to set the way for the guy that follows him. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John answers them all and he says, I baptize with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John could have been the guy. John was the guy in many people's minds. People were crowding around him because he was the guy, but he constantly said, I'm not the guy. I'm not him. There's somebody that's following me that is much greater. That's called knowing your role. He could have taken the stage. He could have created a great following. I even think he could have probably had an insurrection. He could have probably had a, a big crowd of people that would storm the temple and take it over by force. But he kept saying... I'm not the guy, because he knew his role. Let's read Mark chapter 1. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore a clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I love John that he's comfortable knowing his role. Being in charge is really fun. People look to you for decisions, it's kind of fun. It's easy for it to go to your head. As a pastor, you're looked to as somebody that should know all the answers to all the questions. But I love the fact that John constantly says, I'm not him. I'm not the guy. He points to Jesus all the time. And when God is calling him to that kind of ministry, he accepts that role. And I love people that just accept their role in ministry, there's a book here called uh, Watermark. It's kind of a cool book. I'd highly recommend it. It's written by this guy named Bobby Lokinen. It's a book God challenged me to write a number of years ago. And let me read you a story from it. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a devotional book and a prep uh, material for those that are going on a missions trip. Let me tell you, a, uh, let me read you the story. And actually, maybe. Ewan Bula, maybe you know who I'm talking about. Vern was a retired bachelor in our church, and he lived in a little one-room house. He was at church every time the door was open and was always looking for ways to serve. If you lived in our town, you could have seen him driving his old international pickup to the church very, very slowly to volunteer his time. In the summertime, he maintained an old Farmel Cub tractor with a mower deck, from the church garage and could be seen cutting the several acres of grass on a church property several days a week. In the wintertime, Vern would drive out to the church every time a snowflake would fall and start accumulating on the church sidewalks. When he wasn't outside working, he would volunteer his time in the office by fooling bulletins and cleaning up the sanctuary after the weekly services. If something needed to be done, Vern would most likely be doing it before anyone had a chance to talk with others about possibly helping out with the project. He had an amazing servant's heart. Vern hated recognition for that servant's heart. And I heard a story about Vern. It happened before my time on staff. The church thought it would be a great idea to publicly recognize Vern for his many hours of volunteering at the church, so they ambushed him on a Sunday morning and talked about him in front of the church publicly publicly thanking him for all the work he had done around the building, and presented him with a series of gift certificates at local department stores. I understand Vern was greatly embarrassed by this public display of affection for him. He didn't feel like he deserved any praise for what he was doing to help the church function. And upon his death, it is common belief that Vern never cashed that gift certificate at the store, because it could be viewed as prideful and accepting praise from man versus God. Galatians 1.10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Vern, Vern had a servant's heart, and it was honor to call him a friend. I miss my time with, of sitting next to him in the office and listening to his many stories about his time on the railroad. I still marvel at his unwillingness to accept praise for man. What a pure heart he had! I wish I could spend more time with him. More time. More telling though, I wish I could honestly say that I had a heart like Vern. There was a huge void at the church the day Vern passed away, and it went on to receive his reward in heaven. The world be the world would be a much better place with more guys like Vern. People feel people that feel like their mission in life. It's to serve others in need. Do you have a servant's heart? Are you seeking appro- approval of people or of God? And I, I love Vern. I don't know if you know Vern Proper. Do you know that name at all? Okay. Vern was a guy that uh, was, was a John the Baptist to the nth degree. He was somebody that literally would never, ever, ever want to be recognized for helping out. But every time there was something, he was always there, and he loved that role of just serving. And I love the fact that he was comfortable in that, and he, he thrived in that. And this morning I want to challenge you and just ask you, what is God calling you to do? Maybe God's calling you to lead. Maybe God's calling you to follow so that you can set the person that you're following up for success. There's a great story Maybe many of you know it had happened 67 years ago this year. May 6, 1954 at a place called the Iffley Road Track in Oxford, England. There's a quote by Albert Einstein that says, only those who can see the impossible or see the invisible can do the impossible. See, there's three guys that day that had this impossible dream. And it was a cold, windy May day, winds up to 25 miles an hour between the track meet between Oxford University and uh, Exeter and Merton's College. The first guy's name that started running in this race, his name is Chris Brasher. And Chris Brasher's plan was to run the first two laps as fast as he could, and he'd be kind of a rabbit for this guy behind him to chase. And he was an accomplished runner. In fact, in the 1956 uh, Melbourne Olympics, he got the gold medal in the steeplechase. And he also was credited with starting the London Marathon. And his job was to run the first two laps as fast as he could so that the person that he was trying to set up for success behind him could stay right on his, right on his heels. And he pushed himself so much that after two laps, he dropped to the back of the race. After two laps, he, he uh, finished in 1 minute 58.2 seconds. On the third lap, this guy named Chris Chataway Chris Chataway was also a very accomplished runner. and In fact, two years earlier, he had set a world record in the 5,000-meter race at the Olympics. And his job was to pick up the pace and give everything he had in the third lap so that the person behind him could be right on his heels, that he could run at right on pace. And at the third lap, Chris Chataway finished just under three minutes. And he took the, he was pushing himself so much to overextend himself so the guy behind him would have somebody to follow. And in the last 200 meters, the last lap, this guy named Roger Bannister, he took the lead, and in the final 200, he pushed himself past Chris Brasher and past Chris Chattoway and past the rest of the field, and he crossed the line at 3 minutes and 59.4 seconds, becoming the first person to ever pass and break the four-minute mile. And at the 1955 Sportsman of the Year, in an article in Sports Illustrated, talked about the roles that each person played. He said, "I never would have done that had not my friend Chris set the pace, and I never would have got through the third lap had my buddy Chris not pushed me, and I never would have finished under four minutes had we not accepted our roles." And he said, I'm not worthy to break the four-minute mile. Chris is as great a runner as I am. Chris is as great a runner as me. They could have done it, but for some reason they chose me. And he broke a four-minute mile to do something absolutely impossible because they accepted their role. My question for you is, what role is God asking you to do? There's a story from the Washington Post. I believe it's the Washington Post of uh, a guy by the name of Jermaine Washington. He did something amazing that many people are talked about. He had a he became a kidney donor, given a vital organ to a woman he describes as just a friend. Washington met Michelle Stevens, 23 years old, when they began working together at the Washington. At the, at the Washington, D.C., Department of Employment Services. They used to have lunch with one another and chit-chat during breaks. He was somebody I could talk to, said Stevens. One day I cried on his shoulder and, and said I had been on the kidney donor waiting list for 11 months and I had lost all hope. She told Washington how depressing it was to spend three days a week, three hours a day on kidney dialysis. She suffered a chronic She suffered chronic fatigue and blackouts and was plagued with joint pain. He could already see that she had lost her smile. Washington says, I saw my friend dying before my eyes. What was I supposed to do, sit back and watch her die? Stevens' mother, suffering from hypertension, was ineligible to donate a kidney. Two brothers were reluctant. I understood, said Stevens. They said they loved me very much, but they were just too afraid. The operation at Washington Hospital Center in April of 1991 began with a uh, procedure to determine the, uh, uh, the eligibility or the fit of a transplant. And a week later, an incision nearly 15 inches long was made from his navel to the middle of his back. And after surgery, he remained hospitalized for five days. Today, both Stevens and Washington are fully recovered. And I jog twice a week, Washington says, Three times a month, they get together for what they call a gratitude lunch. Despite pressure from friends, a romantic relationship is not what they want. We're thankful for the beautiful friendship that we have, Stephen says. We don't want to mess up a good thing. To this day, people wonder why Washington did it, and even question his sanity. But when one admirer asked him where he found the courage to give away a kidney, he answered, the skeptics, by saying, I prayed about it, I asked God for guidance, and that's what I got. I love stories like that when people just feel like God is leading them to do something. This is my role. This is what God is asking me to do. And in our life, I think God is asking us to fill a role, kind of like John the Baptist We like to be in charge all the time. I don't think that's really God's role all the time in every area of our life. (coughs) I think in our life, God has asked us to fill roles as as a parent. As a parent, you know, is it your heartfelt desire to see your children succeed more than you? Are you doing everything you can to model a life and being authentic so that your kids can one day follow in your footsteps? As a spouse, are you trying your best to serve your mates, not control them or demand submission? That's a tough one. Volunteering at church, how seriously do you take that role? I love the fact that when I come to Rice, I see work. I look around and I see a lot of work. And I know this just doesn't, you don't show up and it's just done. Thank you for the role that you guys do. I, uh, I, know, I know what it's like to set up and tear down and get up at six in the morning on Sunday to get the service set on time. I know what that's like, and I love that that you're a part of that. If you are not a part of that, I think there are some people that would like to talk to you this morning. But knowing your role of making a church successful is huge. Lastly is just kind of mentoring who is God calling you to invest in? Who is God calling you to uh, intentionally spend time with so that you can invest what God has maybe blessed you with, either maybe material or probably more important, just the life experiences that you can help somebody through an issue and a time of need. I think that's what God's calling us to do today. And I, I love John the Baptist. Uh, that's one of those guys I can't wait to meet in heaven. So there's a whole lot of stories that Scripture doesn't tell. And I like to talk, you know, ask him about the his wardrobe would be kind of interesting. Hopefully he has that in heaven. It'd be kind of fun to try on his uh, fur skin, itchy stuff. But I like to ask him, "How did you? how did you do it? When the crowds were clamoring for you to lead, how did you say not I don't want to increase I want to decrease so that he can increase just that role that he had is so such a great thing for us to follow and this morning I just want to ask you what's your role John the Baptist is a kind of a superhero in the Bible um I feel like he could have done so much more, but that's not what God was calling me to do. What's God calling you to do? Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for a chance we have just to gather together. God, we thank You for John the Baptist, and what a, what a truly amazing guy he was. Man, he, he could have done so much in our eyes. We look at his life and his talent and the crowds that followed him and we just think, man, he could have been such a rock star, but he knew the the role that God had called him to. And he accepted that. And his job was to prepare the way for someone that went behind him. And God, that is an incredible servant's heart of obedience. Lord, this morning, what are you calling us to do? What are you calling us to do that we just think, man, it's not fair if this happens this way and I should be doing this and it's not right. But God, I pray for just a little attitude correction in some of our lives and Lord, even in my heart. Lord, the role that you've called me to. Lord, I need to be more obedient maybe than I am. And Lord, I pray that as we all leave this morning. I pray that you would just bring one thing to mind that we can truly change our efforts, change our attitude, so that we can truly be in better obedience to what you're calling us to do. Lord, I pray for just a just a continuation of a of a servant's heart of this congregation to love the Rice area to love the area around this. Lord, give us opportunities to serve. With that, Lord, create great pathways for us to just influence and love this community to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that as we leave in a few minutes. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name.